0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What really happened to two men at Pascagoula, Mississippi on October 11th, 1973? Were there other witnesses or phenomena that aren't generally known? What's the bigger picture?
1: Hello and welcome to the 933rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WON, AM and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com I'm Ben and those broader questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures and dad, Paul and today we bring you a returning guest with a wider perspective A renowned
0: UFO researcher, lecturer and author Dr. Irina Scott received her PhD from the University of Missouri, did postdoctoral research at Cornell University, and has had a professorship at St. Bonaventure University. She worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency doing classified work in satellite photography. Dr. Scott also worked as a physical scientist slash cartographer in the Aerospace Center and at the uh, Battelle Memorial Institute. Among many other things, she has served on the Mutual UFO Network's board of directors and was a founding member of the Mid-Ohio Research Associates. Her publications include books and works in peer-reviewed scientific journals, magazines, and newspapers. Uh, she appears widely in the media. Uh, Dr. Scott has written seven books that I know of, including the subject of today's discussion, Beyond Pascagoula, The Rest of the Amazing Story. And let me just say, uh, Irina, that we are very much appreciate your mention of us in the book's acknowledgments. That was kind of a nice surprise.
1: And we appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, so, Doctor Irina Scott, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal.
2: Well, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here, and it's nice to talk to you again.
1: Oh yeah, always a pleasure. And I guess we'll just we'll just you know start and jump right into it like we always do. Um, can you give us the basics of the Pascagoula abduction case?
2: Uh, the basics are is that um, two men went fishing. They were not expecting anything unusual to happen. And they were just regular people that would probably laugh if you said UFOs to them. One was uh, a 45-year-old, well, approximately 45-year-old man and a 19-year-old boy. They were family friends. The um, boy's father was friends with the older man and that sort of thing. They uh, were shipyard employees. And they were just going fishing after day of work. Um, Pascagoula is by the Pascagoula River, which empties right there into the Gulf of Mexico. And so there's a lot of uh, water and fishing and things around there. Um, so they had finished their day of work and they were just going fishing. And they looked at a couple of places and didn't get any fish, so they went to another place. And this was marked no trespassing, I don't know why it was sort of a junk-littered area with um, lots of weeds and things. And um, so, anyway, they—the younger man—it was his car, and he wasn't too thrilled about this. They had to park and then walk quite a ways to get to the pier, and he was afraid they might get in trouble for trespassing. The older man told him, "Well, there's no worry. He um, fishes here all the time." And so they went and went to the, walked to the pier and started fishing. Well, then they saw a blue light and they both thought this is the police. And the younger man was going to say, well, put my friend in jail because it was his idea. And the younger man didn't want to get in trouble, but it was a whole lot worse than the police because an object, um, came by. And um, landed, it didn't land, it floated about, half, about two feet off the ground. And these three things, it, it kind of opened up and this really bright light shone on them. And then these three things came out and grabbed them. Um, two of them grabbed the older man and one grabbed the younger man. And um, they were, of course, terrified and everything. And then they couldn't move and suddenly felt real relaxed and carefree and like, oh, nothing's happening and everything. And so then they were taken inside the object, and they couldn't see each other. When they were in there, it was like it had rooms, and they couldn't see much of anything. It was just this real bright light, and they didn't see furniture or anything. So one of them said that some kind of an eye came down and sort of focused on him. The other one said that, something like about the size of a deck of cards came down from the ceiling. And, well, he was placed on what he thought was a glass table. I don't know if he saw it or not, but at a 45-degree angle. And this thing came down and circled him like it was scanning him or something. And then it came back up. And they thought they were aboard maybe 15 or 30 minutes. They didn't have watches with them. And then they were placed back. And there was sort of a zipping sound, and the thing flew away. They were, the younger man just standing there with his arms up in a hysterical stand, stance, and the older man t- tried to get him to become conscious and everything. And then they both, I think, fell down and got up, and they were in, both in shock. And, um, they both agreed they're not going to tell anybody because that would be a pretty weird thing to tell anybody about. But finally, the older man, he had been in the service before and in life and death situations. And he thought this should be reported. The younger man was just terrified. He didn't want to have anything to say anything about. But the older man, and they, this was conscious, they remembered everything. Well, the older man um, decided to report it, even though the younger man was strongly against that. And I think, first of all, they tried a newspaper, and it was closed. And then they called the Air Force Base. Well, the Air Force Base said that it was 1973 and said that Project Blue Book was closed and they have nothing to do with UFOs and told them to call somebody local. And so they called the police department, the sheriff. And you can imagine shipyard workers, um, how (laughs) this would be very difficult to do, call in and say, well, I was abducted by a UFO. But they did. And um, I think somewhere it said that the person they contacted could hear um, Calvin in the background pleading with him not to say anything about it and begging. And so the older man reported it and said, you won't believe this, but we were abducted. And I talked to a, a, a member of the sheriff's department that was several miles away, and he said the bulletin went out that these two fisher these two drunks were claiming they were abducted by UFO, and so that was the perception um, but the police had him come in because I think they on account of I think they heard the man the other man pleading not to say anything. and the um, the police did a good job of investigating. They first of all separated them and interviewed him separately. then they put them together, interviewed him, and then the interviewer walked out of the room. Well, what they didn't know was is that um, what the two people didn't know was is that they had a tape recorder hidden. And that's because the sheriff's department didn't want to get um, caught in a hoax. And so they thought if they recorded them and if they said they were laughing and saying, well, you know, we really put that over on them, that um, they would know it was a hoax and kick them out. Well, that didn't happen. Um, When they retrieved the tape recorder, the two men were just absolutely terrified and beside themselves and talking in this clipped way of... Describing what happened and just in an emotional ter- turmoil, and so the police didn't believe him. Um, and that's the basic story. Okay,
0: um, <clears throat> why why don't we do something unusual here and uh, and just to uh, <clears throat> point out to people that uh, uh, Calvin Parker, one of the men. Uh, has been on the show, and uh, you can look back. I believe it's a uh,
1: it's show number seven uh, sixty four. That's October twenty eighth of twenty
0: eighteen. Yeah, people would like to refer to that, but let's go right to uh, questions from Peter Shelley in uh, Bogota, Colombia, who was one of our guest co hosts, and he uh, sends in great questions every week, uh, whether he's on the show or not. So uh it kind of leads us into the
1: notion of the bigger picture. Mm, yes and so let's get to Peter's questions and the first one he asks is uh speaking of Charles and Calvin have you uh said or 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 you have said quote suddenly uh they couldn't move and and they felt uh, real relaxed which actually you just said have you looked into the fact uh that only about 10 miles from Pascagoula is Horn Island, which was a secret chemical warfare station active during World War II. Uh, one of the agents manufactured there, um was, uh, botulin? Botulin,
2: perhaps? Botulin, uh,
1: which causes the the uh, type of paralysis described.
2: Yeah, I looked at that and the, um Horn Island had they had set it up in 1943 during World War II as a chemical warfare um, station. And um, by the time they had it set up in two years, they decided this was not a good idea because it was um, close to the shipping lanes and it was probably closer to Ocean City and Biloxi than it was to um, Pasigula. But they decided... quickly changed their mind about it and just decommissioned it and closed it uh, in 1945. I think they had it completely uh, demolished by 1946, which would have been almost 30 years before
1: 1973. Mm. Yeah, I mean yeah I guess that, I guess that does make sense. So <laughs> the makes sense, yeah. So the, the uh, next question is um, the alien type described in this case is uh, utterly unique in UFO literature. Uh, have you looked into any alternative hypothesis uh, that what appeared to be alien forms may have actually been military personnel and hazmat suits? Uh, other details seem to support this. Uh, support this is the victim's feeling. Uh, they were given injections, and Calvin Parker impre- a- expresses that he had a perception of being contaminated. Uh, in this alternative scenario, the brilliant light uh, may not have been a UFO, but a security spotlight... Um, being this was a a restricted area that they had uh, trespassed into.
2: Well, it wasn't restricted from the chemical warfare. Um, I think it was just a trashy site. Um, Yeah, there were a number of things that didn't agree with hazmat uh, people. I've been in hazmat suits myself because I was a toxicologist and taking part in drills. And one thing they described about the um, things that picked them up was just they had sort of little tendrils where their nose was and where their ears were hmm. that stuck out. And that's anything like a hazmat suit. Hmm. Um, and they behaved in a mechanical way. But also they were about four feet or maybe five feet tall. And um, like a hazmat suit, you have a thing over top of your head too which makes you look even taller. And so these would be... <laughs> They'd be like children in hazmat suits if they were. And there was nothing that resembled a hazmat suit. Um, And the object seemed to float. The bright light was really bright, and there wasn't any evidence at all that anybody was running around there was a searchlight. Mm. I mean, they couldn't even drive their car in there. Um, And so it didn't um, make sense that it would be military people in a hazmat suit
0: yeah, uh, Peter uh, may, makes a point that has always struck me in looking at the artistic renderings of these beings or machines or whatever they were coming out of the craft is that I, I've never seen anything like it either uh, really although there, there are one or two photographs of uh, from other cases that might possibly resemble that um, could you has, have you ever run into any other Creatures that looked like that, with the things coming out of the neck or whatever, you know, that sort of thing, and they almost look like mummies from the uh, artistic rendering What say you on that? Well,
2: it, it's totally different. Um, like, n- no, uh, oftentimes they describe aliens. I mean, other people as being slender and um, big head and big eyes and things like that. Well, these were nothing like the standard uh aliens, these were sort of porky, heavy set, um, with they couldn't I don't even think they could see their eyes and they didn't have big heads or anything. And also the slender type aliens you walk on kind of have legs and things and these sort of had pedestals. And so I think um, you know like if they were hoaxing, I think they would have made up would have looked up what an alien looks like the general idea, and reported that. Instead, this was totally different, which, um, you know, kind of supports the idea that they're being truthful.
0: Okay. What else was going on that night, Irina, and uh, do you feel it was related? You mentioned things in the
2: book that are going on nearby and not so nearby. There were a lot of other things that were going on that night. Um, I've been interviewing people, from Pascagoula and there were quite a number of other sightings at that time the police reported that they had 50 UFO reports that night and then other ones that were unofficial so there were a lot of other um, sightings and I had interviewed a number of people in Pascagoula um, that had close sightings and another thing was there was this really strange sound and that was something I had some relation to. Um, it was the first thing I investigated, and I'd started way before this. Um, there was a strange sound that was heard across about half the length of the United States that nobody mm-hmm. could explain, and it happened about the same time as the um, as the abduction. Now, can you say some more about that and what its origin might have been? I have no idea. Um, I found out about when it happened, which was at the same time as the abduction. Um, I was was in the state of Missouri working on my Ph.D., and my mother was in Ohio, about 600 miles away. And one night she called me and said, did you hear that sound? And I started teasing her and saying, you know, go to the insane asylum, it's 600 miles away and everything. But she seemed sort of insistent and kept asking me if I heard it. And that seemed pretty weird to me because my mother's sort of a skeptic. Several days later she called and said there was this huge UFO flap going on where she was in Ohio, which is some distance from Pascoola, Mississippi. Hmm. And everybody was seeing them, that they were chasing people's cars, somebody chased one of her friends, and people were staying in at night and keeping their kids in and things. And that sounded weird too. But I was in Missouri where nothing was happening, and I was busy, and I forgot about it for quite a few years.
0: Now, go ahead, Ben, if you were going to. No. Oh, no. Oh, I thought you were. Uh, Regarding Ohio and perhaps uh, Indiana, there were some real cases that Steven Spielberg tied into when he made close encounters of the third kind. And I'm wondering if um, any of the uh, events on this night had to do with that, I mean, it's probably difficult to tell.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think one of the events was a um, uh, police chase that went across three states, but that wasn't in 1973. Okay. All right. Well, Who were the Blair family? The, and what, well, what did they one, have to do with this? Uh, about the sound. I did a lot of research on that, and later I... Um, looked it up and it was on the same night and same time as the abduction and so it was pretty weird and I did a lot of um, research on it before I did anything else Um, the Blair family was a family that was um, on the other side of the uh, river from the two people that were fishing the same night and as they found out later um, The man was going with his supervisor out on a boat to do some work, and the supervisor was late, and so they were sitting in their car waiting by the pier, and then they would walk down to the pier and get on the boat. Well, the wife said she saw this strange thing flying around, and she kept saying it looked like an airplane, but it looked like it was lost, and it was just flying here and there and hither and there. But it wasn't going anyplace, place, and she thought that was really, really strange. And then her husband, um, he, she said he was a real skeptic. That he decided to put his clothes in the boat, and so they left the car and went down the pier to uh, go to the boat. This was about nine o'clock, and um, she said as she was she was behind him. And she said as as she was walking down, this thing came out of the water. It looked just like a person. It came right up on the, um, uh, right up by the pier, right beside her. And she said it looked like a person. And, um, then it didn't, it went back in the water and didn't come up again. And so they went to the, um, boat ship and then, um, At about 12 o'clock, she came back to the... She went back to the car and she was just terrified and ran to the car and went home. But she seemed very, very emotional about this thing that came out of the water. And... um, so I called her a number of times, and we talked about it a number of times. She seemed real emotional about it. And I asked her, you know, if it was a fish, and she said, no. And was it a dolphin? she said, no, it looked just like a man. Um, and then later, her husband became very, very ill, and he was a skeptic. She uh, said, when I first talked to him, I talked to him first, and he said something about a big splash and a blimp. And that's uh, and then she handed the phone over to her. Well, uh, sometime later he became very ill, and um, he died later, unfortunately. But right before he went on a respirator, he told her that they had been abducted, but that he never wanted to tell anybody or say anything about it. And he said they had been inside the object. Well, what was odd about that? Uh, was that they uh, the next morning after um, they had had that sighting she read in the paper about um, the abduction, and so they had had the sighting the same day at the same time as Calvin and um, Charles had been abducted hmm. well, and it's pretty amazing so.
1: That is that is interesting, something kind of coming out of the water, and uh, that kind of ties in with my next question, which is, were there any other events under underwater craft, anything that kind of involved USOs, if you will?
2: Underwater submarine objects? Yes. Yeah. Um, the Pasigula area made the national news twice. One was the abduction, but a few weeks later there was a USO and this was taken very, very seriously and investigated by the Navy. Um, there was this underwater object, and it was seen not too far from where the abduction was, a little bit down downriver. Um, and these fishermen were out fishing with nets, and this thing uh, came under their boat that was lit. And they couldn't figure out what it was. And... Finally, the man started splashing around with his oar, and he had a real long oar. And the young boy said that it sounded metallic. Well, there were 16 witnesses for that, and they're all dead except one, and I interviewed the one that was still alive. He was a young man with his father. Um, well, anyway, they couldn't figure out what it was, and other people came In boats and looked at it and couldn't figure out what it was it was if they made a lot of disturbance or hit it it would go out then it would light up and sometimes it would light up some distance away and they would go over and find it again Um, and so anyway he and his father went to get the coast guard to report it and they did and the coast guard came out and the coast guard people also saw it and they thought it was very very strange and one the, one of the Coast Guard people said that when they held an oar over, the light that came out of it, that it was like x-rays. It just right, go right through the oar and there wouldn't be any shadow. Hmm. And um, so the Coast Guard couldn't figure out what it was either. But they took it seriously, and they had a real investigation about it um, and had them talk to some honchos in the Navy and other people. And took it just seriously, which was strange because the um, abduction had been just treated as a joke. But this was taken seriously, even though this was um, they were both in practically the same place. One reason it was taken seriously was because, uh, well, the Huntington Ingalls shipyard manufacturing um, ship manufacturing place was a big the second, first or second largest Navy ship manufacturer in the country, and there was also a nuclear site beside it, and also Kessler Air Force Base was beside it, and so it was um, a strategic place, and the abduction had taken place closer to all that than the uh, submarine object. So if there was a serious investigation for the submarine object. There should have been for the... Um, Abduction too, and then there were a whole lot of things going on like Watergate and Spiro Agnew and Joe Ford replacement of Spiro Agnew and the oil um, the oil embargo and everything else. And then also it came out later that there almost was a nuclear war. There had been a DEFCON um, three nuclear alert. Uh, between the two sightings that it had been classified until very recently that the Yom Kippur War was going on in the Middle East and they almost came to a nuclear war. And so there was a whole lot going on at that same time besides, you know, the shipyard and the manufacture and everything. And so it, I think both of them should have taken, been taken fairly seriously.
0: Mm. Well, I've heard speculation that the Pascagoula case, the, the core of it, uh, received a lot of publicity because of, uh, you know, to distract people from these other stories you mentioned. However, at this point, and uh, not to distract anyone, we're going to take our mid-show break. It is Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our great guest, Irina Scott, so
2: stick with us. <laughs> The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk, listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Wanna take a ride?
0: Local and live at 99.5 FM. Okay, it's, uh, we well, are back on, uh, ON Radio with Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and our great guest, Dr. Irina Scott. We're talking about the Pascagoula, Mississippi case of 1973 and a lot of things were going around, uh, simultaneously that people are not aware of. Uh, now we have uh, two more questions from, uh, Peter Schelling in Bogota, Colombia. Uh, Peter always feet on the ground and always practical, and rightly so. There you go, Ben.
1: Sure thing. And Peter writes to us: uh, Could the figure that came out of the water simply have been a scuba diver? Uh, was the or and uh, was the witness shown the alien drawing?
2: That happened, and then the next day they heard about the abduction. So they didn't know the abduction took place, but they were. On the other side of the river. And I asked her in detail, and she didn't seem to think it was anything like a scuba diver. She seemed to think it was a man. And um, she said there just wasn't any... It just came out and came back in, and there wasn't any evidence of anything else. And the wave just went away.
1: Okay. Hmm, interesting. All
2: right, well...
1: Well, I guess... um, uh, my my question is 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 sort of um, it, it sounds like and correct me if I'm wrong um, that sort of the the events that started with Calvin Parker and 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 our, our and his compatriot there it it almost seemed like not like a catalyst because it, it seems like all these events are happening and they're like vaguely related but it almost seems as if it, it kind of kicked off um, sort of a, a whole slew of different things now was there activity prior to the initial abduction? Or did it seem like it kind of picked up in in pace, speed, you know, different phenomena happening at the same time?
2: Well, it had been kind of like a build-up. There were um, sightings, uh, like a flap. They've never explained what flaps were. Mm. But they really thought that this was the largest flap that ever happened. Um, There used to be Project Blue Book, which... Which was the official government collection agency for UFOs. Mm-hmm. And if somebody saw a UFO, that's where they reported to. So it was one agency. And they were things that looked like flaps, where suddenly there would be an increase in UFO sightings, and then it dwindled down. And since this was all the same agency, they could kind of get a national impression. But it ended in 1969. This was 1973. But at that time, there was just a huge, huge increase in UFO reports. And although it was difficult after 1969 to get things organized because um, there were different places to report to and nobody had any idea where to report. But they thought the 1973 flap was larger than any others because it was an obvious flap. Um, And so it seemed it seemed like there were a whole lot of things that went on and it sort of seemed to slowly build up to a whole lot of activity in the middle of October and then die off and I had sort of as an independent thing there was a researcher a university professor in physics at the University of Missouri and he started collecting information about the beginning of 1973 and notice this gradual build up, and then all of a sudden, a whole big flap in October, and then uh, diminishing, and so he was kind of an independent reporter on that but um in nineteen seventy three there were just a vast number of reports, but I remember my mother, who was a skeptic, called and said, "You know <laughs> people were just going crazy in Ohio too." And um in the neighboring states too, like Indiana and Pennsylvania and places. Um one author said that was probably the largest, most unusual flap there had ever happened.
0: Yeah. Well uh part of this of course, as you mentioned, were fifty UFO reports to the police that same night. And uh in the book I believe you talk about uh inter interactions Police had
2: with some of these could you talk more about that yes um there were a lot of interactions and i had a lot of newspaper reports that i put in my book it seemed like um well an interaction is a sign of life i mean if they interact with you like if you wave at them they blink at you or something you know that's yeah. a sign something's alive and a lot of interactions were actually with authorities there were a lot of reports from police officers of interactions like something would dive at them or um, if they turned off their lights and turned them on, something else would – the UFOs would do something. And there were just a lot of um, interactions with police, which was pretty strange. I think Dr. Heineck gave a report someplace that a lot of the reports came from police and were interactive. Okay. Well,
0: you know, one of the things we went into, and we work with some people in the UFO field on this, uh, are um, what are known today as crossover phenomena, and you mentioned some of these as well. Uh, things that are not normally associated with UFO experiences or even alien abductions. Uh Poltergeist phenomena, things that are very negative, things moving around in the house, this sort of thing.
1: Cryptids, of course.
0: Uh, of course, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> things that we... Uh, uh, if they're in the right uh, quantity, we refer to as a flap area. Uh, w- have you uncovered anything of the, on, on that, in that regard? You know, sort of things not traditionally associated with UFOs that were going on in the in the same time in the same uh, vicinity, more or less, of, of the things we've been talking about.
2: Yeah. Um, for example, Stan Gordon wrote a book, *Silent Invasion*, that your friend mentioned to me, and this was in Pennsylvania. And he was, it talked about basically that same flap over the same years, but he talked about all these other strange things like poltergeists and Bigfoot and everything else that was happening the same time as this flap.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we often find that uh, people who've had abduction experiences or reported them have had uh, things like that happen to them. Uh, we're, we're dealing with a case right now. Uh, in the, in New England here where that's apparently going on, uh, t- lifelong abduction experiences and also various phenomena going on that would not ordinarily be associated with that, so.
1: Right, yeah, even, even another example, you know, Point Pleasant, West Virginia when all the Mothman stuff was, was happening, you know, people yeah. had increased psychic activity, poltergeist activity, you know, men in black visits, all, all sorts of stuff like that.
0: It does seem to kind of go together. Uh before we use up the hour here, uh Irena, tell us about your website, your books, where people can find out more and where
2: they can get the books. And and this well, is
0: a great book, by the way. Oh Beyond thank you. Pascagoula. Yeah.
2: Um my website is Irenascott.com uh, and I list my UFO books on it. And you just click on a uh book and it goes into um Amazon.com where you can order it. I have, um, uh, three other books. One is UFOs Today. One is Inside the Lightning Ball. And one is Sacred Corridors. These are all about UFOs. And my last one was about, um, Beyond Pascagoula. They're all, uh, they can all be ordered from Amazon.com. Okay. Now just to uh, sort of
0: broaden our discussion even further, Have you yourself ever had a UFO experience, uh, particularly when you're working for various government projects?
2: Yeah, I had several experiences. Um, And fortunately, I was always with other people, so Mm. it wasn't me. Um, They started early. And um, uh, two of them were with my sister. One of them was when we were very tiny kids, and um, we were poor and had never heard of UFOs or anything. We just, um, my father was a farmer, and we, he had just until recently been farming with a team of horses. We had outside running water and no phone and all that. Um, my sister and I were sleeping in a attic room on two sides of an attic room, Um and like I said, we never heard of UFOs or spacemen or anything else. We were just tiny kids. She doesn't think she was in school yet, and I think maybe I was. I'm not sure. So we might have been like age four and six. Um, I'd woke up, and I saw this thing flying around the room, our bedroom. We were out in the country, and there was no traffic on the road or anything else like that. Um, and you couldn't even see the next house. Um and this thing was flying around the room, and I didn't know what it was. And it was just sort of like just flying, like it was looking around or something. Um, it looked like it looked like a real tip-tack, such as they described. It. it was sort of like a cough drop shape, which I described. Um, and it was glowing. It was like hot iron, and it just flew around. It got close to both of us, and I didn't know she was awake. I guess she knew I was awake. Um, but it, at that time, I didn't know anything about anything like that. But I noticed that it seemed to know where things were. I mean, if it would go toward a wall, it would turn before it got to the wall. It didn't hit anything. It would go around furniture. And it came close to both of us as it was flying around the room. Um, and so I thought, this is pretty strange because it seemed that the room was dark it was a clear night too, I know that from afterwards, but um, then it flew up toward the ceiling, but it didn't go and hit the ceiling, it turned and it flew along the um, ceiling and it was an attic room so the walls uh, slanted up and came together about three feet apart in the middle and there was a chandelier which was turned off. Well, it flew over the chandelier and it didn't feel its way around everything. It seemed to know where the chandelier was. And it started circling it between the chandelier and the wall. And then it just came down in a spiral under the chandelier. Well at that time we both became terrified. And both started shrieking and screaming and ran out of the room. And we were so terrified we bumped into each other and fell down the stairs. And then we were so terrified we couldn't get the door open. Finally we did. We ran to our parents. And they didn't believe us. But um, what was interesting was is that for some reason we both woke up at the same time and we both became just absolutely terrified at the same time. Um, like there was some kind of mind control or something. We have no idea how the thing got in the room or why we woke up at the same time or anything else.
0: There is an amazing book uh, by Jenny Randall's called Time Storms. It's been around for many years. And she... Um gets into the uh connection of weather and if you want to say peril weather so to speak hmm. uh in relation to phenomena of all kinds uh, w- what have you noticed about the weather uh during the various events uh, that were occur- <coughs> excuse me occurring at this time in Pascagoula and beyond uh were there say several, similar weather conditions in ohio where the flap was going on uh, as it were, in Pascagoula have you been able to look into that at all?
2: No, I haven't. Um, that's something for me to do, though. That's um, something
0: for us to do too, because <laughs> this is something that uh, you know we, we we have a questionnaire online for people to report events, and now we always ask about the weather conditions, things of that kind. So, but uh, just something to think about in in the future. Uh, go ahead, Ben.
1: So I'm I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back. To um, well, this, I think this is actually kind of an, an encompassing question because I, I think it involves your experience as well. Um, it's interesting to me how how the, the response from sort of the general public was was initially you know skeptical, you know you know kind of ridiculed anybody that kind of experienced anything, but then it became very serious as soon as there was something that was kind of like perceived as as, as a threat. So the question is is really this, you know, where is the line? That is drawn, you know, in in a response where someone is ridiculed versus being taken seriously, you know, figures of authority, i.e., you know, the police having interactions with craft um, versus, you know, Calvin Parker sitting in a boat, right? Or, you know, something happening in the middle of nowhere versus something happening near a shipyard that could be a matter of national security or, you know, sightings which seem to be taken more seriously than someone being actually inside of a craft. You know, it's like, you know, what's, what's sort of the line that's drawn between ridicule and being taken seriously?
2: Well, they were ridiculed quite a bit and it's obvious that a lot of other things were happening right then at the same time as them. Um, and I tried to draw the contrast in my book about the, um, USO and them because they were experiences just, um, under the same circumstances it should be taken seriously as the um, underwater thing, but Mm -hmm. they weren't. And also, um, Philip Mantle's done a lot of research, and we've been documenting a lot of other sightings took place that night, but people were inhibited from saying anything because of the ridicule. Mm -hmm. And now the government has, has sort of come out and said, Yeah, there's things that we don't understand. They should have said that, you know, quite a few years ago.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, But uh, people are less inhibited and are coming forward. One of the, uh, because the
0: bottom line question in all these cases and all these shows that we do uh, is uh, what what would be the motivation if whoever was doing the abducting? It was what it appears to be. Why did it take place? What was the motive? That's pure speculation, of course, but what say you?
2: Well, I joke that, you know, they don't need to, I think, by now they can just look at Facebook and get all the information <laughs> they want. But I don't know. Um, I You know, sometimes they act like that. Well, I talked about some, um, I wrote an article about some um, um, sightings in the New England area, such as the, Hill abduction and some around Sharon and the buff lodge thing yeah. and in that case um, and it, we had the same thing um, people would look and see a, something like a meteor way away and then just immediately there would be an object uh, close to them and it was like something was giving them a suggestion that um, this was from space or something and you don't know how much um, – and then like with uh, Calvin and Charles, they said that something was like they were being photographed or something. Well, you don't know if that's something real or whether it's just something that they're putting display on to make it look like they're examining people. Um There's some evidence that they can read minds and things like that, which came from Dr. Harley Rutledge, who did a pretty scientific investigation in 1973. But um, you don't know, you know, you mentioned poltergeist and UFOs. We really don't know if there's any difference between the two or whether UFOs are a manifestation of poltergeists or something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have faced poltergeists. Uh, I thing one famous case at Bridgeport, in 1974, and these things. You know, we were, we were we were assuming they were demons. I was with a priest. I myself was studying for the priesthood, and you assume these are demons, whatever that would mean. And uh, I just got the, but they they were alien, in a broad sense of the term. So I mean that I, that confused me. It took till the end of the 70s to start coming to some conclusions, which I hope have some. Uh, validity, but nevertheless, they, but you're right. So, uh, Irina, what is the next step for you in your own work?
2: Well, I'm writing another book with uh, Philip Mantle, who a, is... A good friend of our ours, group. yeah. What? No, I say, a good friend of I'm ours. Right. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. really nice person. We're writing another book on past Gula with a lot more witnesses, oh, also, in okay. more detail. It should come out in nineteen, uh, I mean twenty twenty three, about for the fiftieth uh, anniversary. Excellent. And I'm also writing another, working on another book. I'll be giving a talk in um, Oregon in May. Uh, and so I'm very busy. <laughs> very good.
0: Very good. Okay. Uh, now, just the uh, the only other thing about this is, of course, how many, I don't think we asked this, how many witnesses altogether would you say there were to the Pascagoula incident and its its accompanying incidents? You mentioned 50 reports to the police. So there must have been hundreds of witnesses.
2: I haven't counted them up. I'd say (laughs) 10 or 15 or 20. I have a list of the ones I've interviewed. Um, Uh How many have you interviewed? I'd have to go in my computer and count them. I haven't counted them. Okay, well that's but that's a lot.
0: Well, th- that's impressive because 1973 was a long time ago. I was even <laughs> young then.
2: So, very good.
0: Okay, well, uh, Irina, give us your website one more time and
2: irinascott.com. Um, two words: irinascott.com.
0: Excellent.
2: And you should go right in there and list my books. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you again for another great interview. We touched on a
0: lot of things, and we'll be in touch off the air. Great book.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: Okay, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. All right. Um, Now, there is one thing I wanted to get to uh, here, too. And this is um, something to think about, I think, for our next open line show. And this is from David in Seattle, Washington. More of a comment
1: sure thing okie dokie uh david writes to us i'm leaning toward uh donald hoffman's theory that physical reality doesn't exist at all
0: let me just give some background this is essentially (laughs) uh, we've been talking uh, a lot of cheery uh conversations about the death uh in the recent shows and the meaning of it if there is is any such thing and i think that's the background to why david wrote this
1: Mm, okay uh and uh david uh uh, start from the beginning. Uh, I'm leaning toward Donald Hoffman's theory uh, that physical reality doesn't exist at all, except at certain a certain level of description. It emerges from from quantum information our minds construct uh, so that we can perceive and interact. With reality that is information-based, uh, conscious agents, which are very much alive, may be the fundamental building blocks of reality, and its interaction of conscious agents creates the information we perceive as physical reality, or physical, or a physical universe. I'm sorry. Uh, on the level of description in which physical reality does exist, uh, physicist David Deutsch uh, has things uh, about right. No? Yes, it's a it's a multiverse. It's a multiverse, and other times are are just special cases of other universes. Our minds arrange quote-unquote snapshots of space-time into linear time sequences. From Einstein's uh, space-time uh, perspective, everything is happening quote-unquote now uh, in some important sense, uh, and time is just a stubbornly persistent illusion.
0: That's a quote from Einstein. He said that, and he was writing to someone in reference to, It was writing to the wife of probably his best lifelong friend uh, who had just translated, as we say, we don't use the word death, it doesn't mean anything to us. And Einstein said that, a stubbornly persistent illusion, time, a stubbornly persistent illusion. Mm. We who believe yeah. in physics, he said. So <laughs> uh, that's just sort of food for thought for our next uh, open line show. And uh, we, we had hoped to have uh, Thomas Campbell, a physicist who writes about things very much like this, uh, he was unable to join us, uh, two weeks ago, and we, what we have, uh, rescheduled him for is April 3rd. Uh, he'll be with us, and, uh, he has a sort of theory of everything. His book is called, it's a trilogy actually, My Big Toe, T-O-E, is Theory of Everything, okay? Mm. Uh, I heard a lecture by him, uh, recently, and, uh, really, really brilliant, and, uh, you know, you may agree, you may disagree, but, uh, life and death is really all about consciousness so is time i think einstein was trying to say mm. so these are things we're going to be getting into in the next few shows and um, there you have it so let's get to our announcements here and see what's
1: coming up and what's going on yes indeed and there's a couple uh, things uh, coming up
0: now we look for now unfortunately the um uh super Supernatural Bowl was mm. supposed to have been Friday. It, it uh, did not take place because uh, they, they uh, apparently could not find anybody to, to debate us, uh, and uh, Linda Zimmerman, who was a great uh, Hudson Valley and really universally known UFO um, expert, I'm sure Irina knows her, and uh, <clears throat> that did not take place. However, we do look forward to the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, which runs from april tenth to twenty sixth, twenty twenty two. We'll provide more information as those dates approach. Uh we will probably be talking about time storms. Uh the book we mentioned a little earlier in in talking with Irene Irina Scott was that uh, <clears throat> this uh, amazing book by uh, Jenny Randalls who points out the various uh, conditions under which paranormal events occur. And it's really an interesting research tool and a fascinating background to the entire thing.
1: Mm. So, go ahead, Ben. Yes, and don't forget about our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, where you can find out uh, more about us, our over 1,000 hours of regular shows uh, and special broadcasts since 2008. Uh, from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WOON, AM, and FM, uh, including those that have been restored in the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com. And you can also find our broadcasts on, um, the major podcast platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify. Uh,
0: download our show app. That's available free at BehindTheParanormal.com. And you get what you pay for, because it doesn't do much, but it does, uh, the, the new shows will pop up as they are. Posted after uh, the live broadcasts are recorded and posted, you can uh, have a nice um, link to those, including the video. Uh, You can browse our books along with those of our guest co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. It is again uh, where you can also find out more about the show itself, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us.
1: Yes, and uh, our website also has a charity page uh, with links to several good causes that we've adopted over the years, including uh, Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, uh, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, and most recently, the Western Kentucky Tornado Relief Fund.
0: So, Ben, what's lurking in the closet for next week?
1: Well, 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 uh, in the closet, uh, once we turn on all the lights, or maybe just a nightlight, on February 20th, uh, we continue to look on the bright side of death, um, as we welcome back our good friend, uh, consciousness researcher Anthony Peake, who, um, it's, it's been a while since we've actually had him on, and he's going to be talking about his ideas on cheating the ferryman.
0: And just the background of that, the the ancient the Greeks and Romans believe that the the, a ferryman, when you died, would ferry you in a boat across the river, sticks, mm. to the land of whatever. And uh, there were ways to cheat the ferryman. You had, you had to give him money. That's why... They put coins on your eyes. They put coins on people's eyes, even up until really the 19th century.
1: There's actually a really fun idea um, where the sort of the place of the River of the Dead could have been in a couple of different places. So the, the idea of some place being both a place and also another place at the same time.
0: Okay. Uh, We leave you today with a thought from none other than Winston Churchill. If you're going through hell, keep going. I'm
1: Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return
0: to this radio frequency, 167 hours from...